welcome to the Exponential View podcast. I'm Azim Azar, curator of The Exponential View. The music you heard in the intro to this podcast was generated algorithmically by The Sync Project. And today I'm going to be talking to Marco Artisari, the founder and CEO of Sync Project, which is a company that is looking to use personalized generated music as precision medicine. Marco, it's great to have you here. Where do I find you this afternoon? Uh, I'm right in Boston, uh, on South Street in the Leather District, uh, right, right in downtown Boston. You know, we go back quite a long way. I think it's nearly 18 years now from when we met during the heyday of the dot-com bubble. Uh, that was in London. And how have you ended up in, in Boston today in 2017? I know it's 18 years, but just tell us what your journey has been over the last uh, nearly two decades. Well, uh, yeah, that's that's right. We've known each other for a long time. From from the time we met, um, I really continued on working in product design, um, initially in software interaction design. Uh, I was working at Nokia for a little while, then um, worked in two startups, uh, co-founded a company called Doppler, which... Uh, was an early social network mm-hmm. for the world's most frequent travelers, building a kind of social atlas from their travel patterns. Nokia acquired that company. I was then um, head of product design at Nokia, responsible for industrial design, uh, user experience design, and packaging. Uh, at um, a very turbulent time there, but was lucky to have such colleagues did some incredible work. And then when uh, Microsoft bought uh, the Nokia phones business, uh, I decided to not go with that uh, acquisition and wanted to take a little bit of time off and think about the next thing. And that brought me to the MIT Media Lab. Uh, the director of the Media Lab, Joey Ito, asked me to be a director's fellow there. Um, and during that time, as I was thinking about other things, I didn't uh, really want to continue on doing kind of extreme industrial scale uh, uh, product uh, making, but more back to services and systems. And I was thinking a lot about health and well-being, um, also at the lab. And that's when Joey introduced me to the idea uh, of Sync Project and uh, a co-founder, Ketki Karanam, who'd been doing some of the due diligence on what kind of scientific evidence is there for the health effects of music. And then initially, I just started pouring over that science and then uh, to see if there was a there there and uh, convinced by that, then moved to Boston and found our third co-founder here. Yadid Eisenberg from the Media Lab. Right. And music has been a huge part of your life, right? I, I know that uh, you came to one of the dinners for Exponential View recently and uh, you burst into a, a, a song, an opera. And I think many years ago, you composed a piece of music that's been quite popular. So now you're at the Sync Project and you're developing music as precision medicine. Uh, what do you mean by that? So um, by precision, we mean that uh, a personalized experience of sound and music uh, to improve your health. Medicine, we mean very broadly uh, in the sense of everyday health and wellness um, conditions, as well as more clinical indications like uh, uh, chronic pain or anxiety. So the, the goal really is to develop music as a precision medicine to use non-drug modalities, so non-molecules, to impact health outcomes, either to complement drugs or to replace them in some cases completely. And Music is a remarkable thing this way because we already all self-medicate with music. So we uh, use music to get uh, pumped up, to get energized. We use music to exercise better. We use music to 
unwind. We use uh, sound and music to get in the zone. And sometimes we use music to prime ourselves before a performance. Uh, I don't mean only musical things or artistic things, but we need to give a talk. And it's actually quite well known that uh, Obama, during the debates leading to the first time he was elected president, uh, would listen to the same track over and over uh, each time just before he walks on the stage. And it was actually Eminem's Lose, Your Lose Yourself. So um, opportunity comes once in a lifetime, right? And the last thing to come out are the earbuds as he walks on stage. And we all have that track or, some, or those tracks. They are our tracks. So there's a personalized element to it. Um, uh, Lose Yourself may not be your track mm -hmm. or mine, but that's not the point. And so we have this intuitive sense that music has power over us. It affects us deeply emotionally. It affects us physically. And in addition to that intuitive understanding, there's strong mounting directional evidence in science. Right. So let's, let's talk about that mechanism, because I think we can, as you say, we can recognize it in our own behavior. There are tracks that do things for us. Uh, there are tracks for different moods. And uh, we, we, some of us also have a track that has all, almost got a, a talismanic or a rosary-like quality about, about it. But what is the mechanism by which that uh, affects us? Do we know anything about that yet? Yeah, so there's two bodies of scientific uh, evidence. One, one relates to the basic neuroscience. So what's happening? How's the brain firing when we uh, hear music or play music? And the second um, is more uh, applied studies on the use of music in a particular clinical condition, uh, like pain or sleep. Now, in the case of the basic neuroscience, uh, there's been quite a few advances, mainly using uh, brain imaging studies, looking at what's, how is the brain firing when we hear music. And uh, what's evident is that the brain fires very broadly when we uh, listen to music, uh, not only the auditory cortex, uh, uh, critically the areas um, and pathways related to emotion, motivation, reward, and pain, uh, dopaminergic circuitry. Um, we have also um, pathways related to stress, arousal, autonomic responses. Um, and so it's at least in, by hypothesis possible, if, if the, the, the networks that fire in the brain broadly when we listen to music are similar to those that um, uh, those pathways that are stimulated by psychostimulants, um, in other words, drugs, um, and that it would be possible that music could either complement or replace them. Mm -hmm. Now, there's still a lot to lot long way to go to identify exact mechanisms, but pieces are coming together. On the more clinical side, um, uh, there are studies done across a range of conditions, different qualities of studies, but there are numerous. One, I'll just cite one example, which is slightly surprising, which is pain. This is post-operative pain, so acute pain after an operation. Mm -hmm. One study, this was day surgery. Half the group got an hour of music after the surgery on the day of. The other group got standard care, uh, standard of care, no, um, no music. And they, these were patients that were self-administering morphine. And the group that got the music self-administered only a third of the morphine as the other group. Now, mm -hmm. and these, these kinds of results have been replicated uh, in, in numerous studies. And if you take that idea seriously, that would mean that, uh, well, 
anyone that has an operation should have the opportunity to listen to music, given the kind of opioid epidemic, at least in the United States. And mm-hmm. often that can start in, uh, in a situation of um, acute pain and mm-hmm. post-operatively. So, so there, is, uh, there is some clinical evidence, it sounds like it, that, that suggests that, that this does work. Uh, how well do we understand the mechanisms behind that? I think um, increasingly so. So it, we're still on the level of uh, brain imaging studies, mm-hmm. and exact. It's in a way, if we're looking at the effect of music through um, through the brain on our bodies, uh, it's also gated by how well we understand the brain. And you've uh, discussed that a lot in and share a lot of results on that in on in terms of exponential view. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer, however, that even if we don't have uh, complete consensus on mechanisms, if we're showing outcomes, it would be uh, foolish not to uh, use music for health, even if we don't understand the uh, all the way down the mechanisms that are operative. And I think the, the key thing is that we're in a position right now where uh, the timing is in a way right, because we can gather a unique data set because of the way music is being uh, enjoyed by people. So essentially we have a celestial jukebox in every pocket in the form of a streaming service mm-hmm. uh, of some kind, be that Spotify or Apple Music. Uh, we have growth of biometric sensors, uh, be that on the uh, in form of smart watches or other sensors, also increasingly just in the phone itself. And finally, um, we, we can apply machine learning techniques and uh, cloud computing at scale as a pretty much a utility now. So you didn't, you don't need to by the infrastructure. And this combination of uh, trends makes it possible to collect this kind of uh, data set and build on that. And that's essentially what the first phase of the company uh, that we have did is we built a platform to map uh, music characteristics um, to their biometric effects. And by music characteristics, we mean things like uh, tempo, uh, the clarity of a groove, uh, the uh, uh, color or timbre, the instruments used in a piece of music, and uh, mm-hmm. all of this is brought together and mm-hmm. connected to any data we have on the biometric um, effects that a particular track might have. And the key thing is to collect the data across scales. So it's starting from very passive data collection, like uh, an incoming funnel of uh, millions of playlists on public uh, streaming services like Spotify, which have a word like de-stress in their title. That might have been something you made. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, oh. we then, go ahead. Yeah, so, so this, this is the key point, right? Because data collection is, is very important for any uh, product and service like this. So you seem to have a number of strategies in place. So perhaps you could just sort of outline how you're collecting those and sort of dig into a couple that are interesting. Yeah, yeah so the, the fir- first is, as I said, it's very large scale um, more passive data collection, passive in the sense that the participants uh, don't need to be aware of us or engaged with us, but these are public playlists that people have shared on streaming music services that have um, words in their titles that have uh, uh, indicate health, uh, functional health outcomes like de-stress or sleep or relaxation. We then um, essentially take these playlists, we uh, create uh, a representative set of uh, so- uh, songs or tracks that are on these playlists. And then we machine uh, analyze, uh, computationally listen to those tracks, uh, looking at their acoustic properties. And then we build classifiers based on that. Essentially, for any incoming track, we can say, how likely would this have been 
uh, to be on a user-created playlist that would have the word de-stress in its title, just to close the loop. Now, of course, that is not uh, yet. We don't know if anyone actually ever de-stressed to that playlist, but we can use this as putative evidence. So that's on the one end. That's Mm -hmm. millions of playlists, um, machine analysis of the music. But then for more biometric effects, we also can do um, smaller scale studies. And those are more, we deck out uh, the right sensors, um, more more controls. We've done uh, work on athletics. We are just teeing up a study um, in Boston on pain, actually in an, in an ER. Um, and uh, these are much smaller ends, so not 10 million, it's tens or hundreds, mm-hmm. uh, much uh, clearer controls. So what are you comparing uh, the music to? And um, then there is an interesting area um, in the in the middle, which are these not not so controlled t- uh, in clinic or or smaller studies, but are more wild data collection with people participating. And we have two examples at the moment. I know a lot of your listeners probably use Slack, so we created a um, sync music bot for Slack, uh, which is free to use if you have Spotify. Requires a Spotify account, and it's the best way actually to use Spotify. Um, in, in the work environment, but essentially it's a little bot that gives you a set of music every morning uh, mm-hmm. to focus to and get your morning started in a more productive way. Yeah, I use that actually um, many mornings uh, and I get a, a, a playlist generated by you. I'm not going to give away what my music cho- choices are, but uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very nice way to, to get a couple of hours listening. Yeah, and so that for anyone that uh, uses Slack, syncmusicbot.com, it just takes a few seconds to install. And that's uh, on the area of, of, of focus and concentration. And obviously, the, the feedback loop there is self-report. We're not m- measuring anything uh, directly from you. But the, the other uh, area where we're doing a large-scale data collection, which we just launched in March, uh, which we're very excited about, is actually not sculpting these playlists like on Spotify, but it's a, a new kind of generative music, which we... Are creating. We created a track of music to help you relax prior to sleep. It's called Unwind, and you can use it on any modern smartphone at unwind.ai. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, this is a piece of music that's responsive to your uh, heart rate. You uh, just hold the phone still. You get your heart rate. Based on that, the music starts playing and helps you relax from there. We ask you a few questions pre and post the session. Um, in terms of your perceived state of re- relaxation. And we did this in collaboration with an artist, uh, Marconi Union, a British uh, ambient trio, extraordinary uh, group of musicians who five years ago did a track called Weightless, which was momentarily dubbed the most relaxing track ever made. <laughs> so we, we thought, can we, uh, can we improve on Weightless by combining Marconi Union's musicianship with um, essentially generative um, processes that are machine-made. So this is really a hybrid musician and computational intelligence making a music that's tailored to you and your physiology. And uh, we've had a really great response, and we think that this uh, generative music is a very interesting way, direction for us to go and potentially can see larger effect sizes. Sometimes we do want to hear something that we recognize as music, but there's also qualities of music and, and attributes of music that we can even optimize better 
when we're literally generating the music live. But our view is that we do it together with artists. Artists have an incredible intuition for what kind of music works for particular uh, functional outcomes and even health. Mm -hmm. And by combining it with uh, our algorithms, we think there's a, a, yeah. a real novel length. Can we, so let's just uh, take a look at that and say, uh, on, on unwind.ai, what actually, um, what is actually happening during the listening experience? Because you also said that the, the music adjusts both to mood and to sort of biofeedback from the, the smartphones. Can you just talk us through that, that process a little bit? And then also talk us through the, the role of the artist in, um, in either setting the seed to, to start the algorithm or setting the parameter, the parameterization of the music as it plays out. Uh, very good question. So first of all, um, it's, um, it's a web app, so it's usable on any browser on a modern smartphone. So you just go to unwind.ai. You don't need to install an app. You just um, uh, start there. Uh, then you're asked whether you want to do a 20-minute session prior to sleep, or we also offer kind of a daytime snack size five minutes if you just want to do a shorter re relaxation session. And um, people have about half, half uh, chosen either one. Our ideal uh, request would be that you do uh, this before uh, sleep in the evening at a calm moment, not doing something else. It's like a mindful moment with the music. And um, uh, then if, if it's working for you for sleep, um, sort of more prolonged improvements, it's a good idea to repeat it. And we're actually very encouraged by so many people being repeat users. But So essentially, then you start, then you hold your phone still. Uh, you can hold it in your hand. You can't be moving about or, or hold it to your chest. And using the sensors in the phone, um, using a technique called cardiac ballistics, we uh, sense your heart rate. Essentially, our body bounces each time we our heart uh, beats and we get your heart rate. And we use that as a seed to influence the, uh, the music. And in terms of the uh, what, what is happening in for those manipulations, those will evolve over time. Uh, this was our first uh, um, uh, sort of first trial of, of uh, some things. It relies on something in music therapy called the ISO principle, which is essentially if you want to take a person somewhere, you ma match them where they are. Now we took that fairly literally in terms of tempo, um, but it's a it's a natural thing that you can hear immediately. Like aha, this is tuned to me, and then effectively the music. Um, uh, slows down from there in certain ways. Uh, and all of these uh, modulations are actually tuned and will will learn over time. And we've just started the process. Ultimately, it's um, we believe that the manipulations as more and more people use it uh, will will be optimized over time. Now you asked about, so what is well, the collaboration actually, before like? Before you, you, you jump into that, uh, should we just give it a try? I've got my iPhone here. Uh, and yep. I can hold it up to the mic. Are you, are you willing to Tempt the gods of demo? Uh, of course. Go ahead. Okay, so let's try it for a few seconds. I've gone to unwind.ai. I'll turn the volume up so it's by the only thing. The only thing I would say is we encourage people to use their headphones. So the quality that will go from out of your smartphone speaker into this phone isn't optimal. So what you do is you'd put the um, your headphones on or directly into a speaker system at home. That's for the best effect. Fair, fair enough. I, I, with those caveats, here we go. Begin. I, I'll just go for five minutes. Hold your phone steady and wait silently for 20 seconds. Okay, here we go. And now we are um, getting your heart rate. 
it sounds yeah sounds fantastic so i'm going to pause it now so you can tell us a little bit about the role of the artist in all of that okay thank you let's go thank you so um we were we were interested in working with marconi union because we knew of their work on weightless uh, this track that i mentioned before on um which was um a, a hit online is a very relaxing track and we also knew the, the kind of the way they work so essentially what we did is we had uh, a bunch of sessions where we discussed uh, what the goals are and they delivered to us um, a composition uh, as well as the source material that went into that mix uh, what are called the stems so the isolated audio tracks of those we then did uh, uh, audio analysis on those and then created manipulations that uh, modify these tracks based on input. And this has a history, um, for those that don't know generative music, uh, in uh, computer music, uh, this idea of generative music, so algorithms making music has been around for a long time. Uh, maybe a canonical piece, like a real great example is uh, from 1985, Brian Eno's piece Thursday Afternoon. If you haven't listened to that, take a listen. So essentially, this the idea was that a, uh, the composer sets up a process, a si system of rules um, that can, some of the rules can be probabilistic and others, and lets it, lets the piece unfurl from those rules, essentially. And um, this uh, has continued. There, there are artists doing this uh, all the time. Uh, and uh, Brian, you know, recently re released another, another generative piece. And what we thought is what we would do this, but in include this idea of responsiveness to your physiology, so biometric input into it, um, and then particularly looking at what are those operative characteristics um, in music that are affecting relaxation response and play to those. Now, we see that there's broad application, so it's not only that this um, initial uh, relaxation before sleep is only good for this. Uh, we think there's broad application in uh, sleep, but anxiety as well. And we, our hypothesis is that the learnings will be applicable also to pain. So we are taking um, even the, the work we've done on generative music in this case, broadening it out and uh, applying it in the clinic for, uh, for pain. But one thing I'd say is we're, we're already um, on track to have a catalog of this generative stuff working with other artists, um, uh, both uh, critically acclaimed and more well-known with bigger reach online. And so we really think it's the hybrid of the artists working together with the algorithms for these health outcomes is, is the way to do it. You could have take a different view. A lot of people think like, hey, algorithms replace humans, a uh, great deal, good business model. But on the other hand, uh, I would say that, you know, we're at the point where we're talking about automation, and you've written a lot about this. At uh, exponential view, automation is taking uh, the industrial jobs now it'll take the middle management and now they came for the art and culture um, and so I think it's people are more curious about this hybrid uh, model and then of course in the future we may have purely algorithmic models but we've chosen to go this route at the beginning and the artists seem very very interested in this we're doing a separate uh, collaboration not for um, generative music yet but just looking at the effect of compositions, uh, Max Richter, um, the composer, um, is doing a concert May 6th at Old Billingsgate Market um, on 
basically 450 people, beds, linens, uh, water, you sleep for the night. It's an eight-hour piece to sleep in. <laughs> okay. And we're measuring some of the outcomes using uh, these uh, Oura ring uh, sensors for part of the audience to see how their sleep was impacted. Obviously, with 450 people sleeping with strangers in a large market hall where they normally don't sleep in a bed that they normally don't sleep in, there are a lot of parameters changing, uh, not only the music. So for, purely from a study perspective, there are a lot of challenges with it. But we did want to, uh, there was a real interest uh, in talking with um, Max Richter about how is this really mm -hmm. working and how do we do this? So we see a lot of interest by artists in this. We're tapping into that by combining the artists um, with the AI we're developing and learning from each usage. So that I encourage anyone to try unwind.ai. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's really, really interesting. And I think it's interesting the way that you are, you're saying this, and it's important to have the artist in there as, as sort of seed currency and in a way um, augmented by the machine learning system uh, that's, in, that's in place, right? Because as you say, a lot of music has been generative for, uh, for, for a while. Um, and, and actually, even the commonality of language that we have uh, in terms of you know, rhythms and chording and so on ends up being a little bit like Lego bricks. It's not. It's not as if most music is has for a long time been created completely de novo and tabula rasa. Right? There's been an accepted alphabet, um, and an accepted set of structures. I think. I think that's. I think you're absolutely right. And if if I really thought about, um, we're we're in the, we're in our mission is to create um, better health and well-being with personalized sound and music. And so we're really focused around health outcomes and health. Um, and, but if you look at AI and music as a general theme, um, I would say, you know, there, there are certainly places where you could automate uh, production. You know, there's a lot that has been written about the very, very successful um, uh, sort of Swedish pop machine, you know, how songs mm -hmm. are written, uh, how that ad, latest Rihanna track gets, how many composers are involved, what's the process of sourcing those. And that's to your point. I think there's a lot of automation that could make that even uh, more streamlined. If if that's your thing, that's I'm your personally thing. not interested. That, yeah, interested in that. And but go no, ahead. No, well, I, you know, look, you, we, you and I have talked a lot about the ethics of technology over the years, and you know, we had our long discussions about back in 2003, 2004 about the ethics of of open source and, and social networks, and when a lot of this work was coming out about scale free networks and power laws and winner take all dynamics. I remember. You know, we would go back and forth on this question. So let's think about that, right? Which is that we, we, we get a sense, right, that music is uh, can trigger emotional or physiological responses in people. Uh, and we currently do it in rather approximate ways, right? So we think that if you want to pump yourself up to go to the gym, you find some electro at 140 BPM. If you want to sort of chill out, you find... Arvo Pett or Ludovico Einaudi or, uh, you know, Philip Glass, whatever it happens to be to sort of zone yourself out in a different way. But those things are, are written from the or produced from the, the uh, composers, the artists, just for the, the, the sake of the, the, the composition, right? And not necessarily uh, to trigger a specific response in you. Now, so how does that start to change when we can personalise the responses uh, to trigger behaviors. And you've discussed a set of behaviors that I think we all feel reasonably happy about those things being triggered, allowing people to relax or mitigate their the, the feeling of pain. And, but what if, it's, what if it's 
goes in a different direction, right? And and I and I think about pop, modern pop music, and there's this whole idea of the um, I don't know if you've come this the millennial whoop, right? Which is a a particular uh, musical device that you see in common with many many pop songs right now, and it's sort of designed to make us like that song and that, you know, then generate the sort of economic outcome that the artists want. Um, where, where do we start to stray into some ethical questions around how far we can be gamed through technology being applied to this particular medium? It's a really good question. Uh, maybe I'd take one step back is like, just look at the current state of music generation um, or uh the kind of experiments that are being uh, dropped online uh, by every every big company uh, machine learning group is essentially dropping some tracks. Like this is uh, Watson made alt rock, and uh, here's a piano piece made by X, and all the major labs are are doing this. Essentially, right now, what it what it sounds like is on a micro level, like the, this is a Chopin trill or something. You can it really sounds compelling like wow that that was a machine made that after just listening to this and this or or listening to this and and ingesting this notation of music um and so then that that model so you on a micro scale it works on a larger scale for like the the form of the music or the progression of the music still sounds very very odd but over time we will get there but even even so those are the early AI party tricks of music. Um, you know, they're, they're those, we're, we're just using music to reproduce uh, Mozart's style or something like that. And you mentioned Arvo Part. I was just uh, at an evening um, on behalf of the Arvo Part um, uh, Center, um, and there, there we are speaking, and one person said, like, it, it is. Uh, yes, we will be able to reproduce a Mozart, but will will there ever be a machine that makes the leap to an Arvo Part from that context of music? And they were skeptical. Uh, I think uh, I I'm the jury's still out on that. I think as we have more and more data, more and more leaps and more more and more more surprising moves are possible. As we in a different context in AlphaGo, <laughs> there were certainly right. moves that surprised. But that's I'm not saying. Uh, music is like a go or a game with fixed rules, so I, I don't want to take it so far. But I would say that that's still early, early phase in terms of the ethics. You asked, like, what do we use it for? I, I don't think it's any more, it's any different than application of AI in other areas. So we know that by sending in a machine to negotiate with someone that's picking a healthcare alternative, we can more likely um, get the person to pick the lower cost one for the point of view of the government. And if we can give the machine a little bit of time with your Facebook or other profile, we can do even better. Um, and there the question is how much of this kind of manip uh, clearly and predictably manipulable technology should be used. And I don't think that's it's any different with something like music um, in, in the sense that if we can relax you or get uh, certainly those kinds of learnings would have applic applicability also in retail and other other public environments. But uh, our focus is uh, really on on health and well being, and we're firmly there. So, so if we think about the the next step then of medicine and, and, and healthcare, I mean, how do you actually see that future using using things like music or I mean, potentially even virtual reality? If you've looked at that, so 
And the basic idea is that uh, on top of this data set that we've collected, we can develop these personalized music therapeutics. Our, our own focus right now is um, there, there's so many areas where you could apply it, but our belief is that initially the, um, the, the commercialization will happen in very broad conditions, uh, uh, like sleep, relaxation, anxiety on the one hand, and pain as another one. Uh, so the reason I say this is we do have some cultural um, associations and value uh, associated with music. So the Celestial Jukebox is nine ninety nine a month. That's one hundred and twenty a year, and we don't expect music and sound therapeutics to be um, sort of radically overpriced or have different kind of pharma level pricing. Mm -hmm. So we need conditions that are quite broad. So that that's what we're working on. But I, I put it in a broader context. You asked about. Uh, virtual reality. I do think that in 10 years time, it it will seem absurd to us, even primitive in some way, that we weren't using these non-drug modalities, so non-pharmacological non means to impact health outcomes as a normal part of a health regime. Mm -hmm. And that, that goes for sound and music, for sound and music with certain interactivity, which is kind of like a game, uh, for, it, for video games, uh, as well, uh, lighting, certainly. And we just are uh, now getting the data and also getting the understanding of what the mechanisms are um, in the brain that's, that's allowing these um, uh, health improvements to happen. And at that point, it'll, it'll be normal. It'll become standard of care in some cases. I think it'll be very important, just like with uh, drugs, to screen for Response, uh, response, responders and non-responders who's likely to benefit from this kind of a thing. And that's certainly something we're very mindful of. So you use these for the most, um, uh, the people that are mo most likely to get um, benefit from them, another sense of personalization. Mm -hmm. And so I think going to the hospital, it'll be both in the hospital, meaning that just before you're about to get asked or self-administer more opiates, you can have music instead. I think that'll be normal. Um, and many, many other such uh, such cases. Uh, and in the case of everyday health and wellness um, as well, I'm, we're hugely uh, encouraged by audio interfaces and Alexa. And there's a lot of applications we'll, we believe in aging in place um, mm -hmm. in terms of also anxiety, um, relaxation, um, and potentially a feeling of uh, loneliness as well. You know, you know, I can tell you've been super busy on in all of this, but does that mean you've had no time to look at anything else, or have you come across any other amazing things uh, that aren't to do with uh, music as precision medicine? So obviously, work um, work is almost everything. I, I'd say it's it's not really. In, uh, there's so many interesting things going on. I, I think an area that I watch uh, a great deal is uh, distributed. Um, uh, distributed ledgers, um, blockchain, but in particular uh, systems that are looking at app coins, at funding decentralized versions of things that have, a, have only had a centralized business model, um, be that uh, social networks or how we, how we uh, enjoy and pay for um, media and entertainment. So that, that space... Um, a company called Media Chain I'm uh, following with great interest. So this idea that you could use an app token 
model as a business model for funding new decentralized infrastructures. So that's one area. The the other is, uh, I um, I think extraordinary work in this sounds perhaps funny given what we've just talked about, but just in music, there's such creativity in music at the moment, and maybe I'm more sensitive to it because I'm listening to more myself and um, and uh, playing some music. You know, there's. Uh, Maybe one which is related to today's theme is a band called Dawn of Midi, and they have a record called Dys- Dysnomia, Dawn of Midi, M-I-D-I. Midi. Okay. Yeah. And the record is called Dysnomia, D-Y-S-N-O-M-I-A. And uh, it's really amazing piano trio, and it sounds like this music that couldn't have been made. It's a totally acoustic, played live acoustically, but it sounds like... Um, uh, you know the big wave surfers that needed the 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 engine ski to first catch the waves, but then could throw that away and could catch them anyway. This is like that. You needed to have listened uh, to some sequencers and electronic music, and suddenly you threw that away and you started making this new kind of music. Well, I'm so to pick that up on the Celestial Jukebox, Dawn of Midi. Uh, yeah, you yeah. would be, and. Okay. Uh, uh, they just opened up for Radiohead in Madison Square Garden last year, and uh, amazing band. But the the reason I talk about them now somewhat at length is just it is some an interesting hybrid between the machine and the human in the domain of music. Well, look, that's a metaphor for a lot of what we look at in Exponential View. Marco, it was great to talk to you, and thanks for making the time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Exponential View podcast. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment to like us on SoundCloud and share us on the usual social networks. Uh, We've got a really awesome Instagram feed kicking off at the moment, so do come and find us there, instagram.com slash exponentialview. And we'll wind out this podcast with uh, a few more seconds of some generated music from Sync Project.